Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Arm Scholar Podcast. This is number 11. And on today's podcast, I actually have a really special guest. Um, most of you probably never heard of him, but he is someone who I've interacted with in my personal life. And I thought he would be someone who would be very interesting to you all, has a very interesting background, and probably some very interesting insight that you guys will appreciate. So on this episode, I have Jeff Rockwell with me, um, and we're going to be talking about jujitsu, firearms, uh, competition shooting, all things and other things that probably that will pop up as well. So thank you so much, Jeff, for being willing to come on the podcast and talk with me. Oh, absolutely, man. Uh, pleasure, is, pleasure is all mine. Can't wait. So why don't you uh, go ahead and just kind of, I know who you are, but why don't you just kind of run through your background, things that maybe you think are important uh, that people maybe find value in so they can just understand, you know, why I brought you on this podcast. Because I know why, why I brought you on. <laughs> Well, yeah, first, like, let me say again, just I'm so, uh, so happy to, to be on here. What you've been doing in the uh, Second Amendment world here in the past few years is just amazing. So it's, it's a big honor for me. Um, yep, my name is Jeff. Uh, I'm married, have two kids and currently living in uh, South Bend, Indiana, uh, after living in Texas and Pennsylvania for a long time. Um, uh, my self-defense martial arts background, I'm a black belt in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under Tony Passos and the De La Riva lineage. Um, I trained and taught for many years, which is how we got to know each other, which was uh, fantastic um, back in Texas. Uh, as far as the shooting credentials, as they say goes, uh, I am a master class shooter in both USPSA and IDPA in several divisions. Um, I shot three gun for a long time, pistol rifle, shotgun, um, got to be a semi-pro in the three gun nation league years ago. Um, I'm a NRA pistol instructor, uh, a Texas licensed to carry instructor. I worked as the lead instructor at a, a big indoor range down in, in Austin called uh, The Range. The at range. Austin. <laughs> very, very creative name, but uh, but everybody goes there. Uh, it's a big, it's a very nice facility, great people. Um, and I'm currently still an instructor with a training group uh, called Atomic Legion. They're based out of Austin, but I'm looking to expand that up here into uh, Indiana. So uh, a lot of martial arts training over the years, you know, Thai boxing, MMA, Filipino martial arts and things like that, as well as, as the jiu-jitsu. But uh, that was probably my main focus in this last uh, decade. I still train uh, some, but not as much as I used to because I'm so focused on the firearms. I, yeah. get, I get super addicted into one thing and super yeah. passionate about it. And, uh, and that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. So for... For those who, I mean, you heard Jeff mention it. So I became aware of Jeff or I, I met Jeff because when I was in Pennsylvania going to law school, I had done jujitsu before and I was looking for an academy to train there. And I ended up training with Jeff at his academy, the Raptor Jiu-Jitsu there in State College. Um, so I trained with him for two-ish years. I got my blue belt from Jeff. Um, still a horrible blue belt. It's been way too many years. And I'm definitely one of those guys with the blue belt blues where like, I'm so sporadic in my training on and off, like back, I'm back on now, but it's just nice. Yeah. It's one of those things. And even like you said, like, you know, life happens. Um, even you, a black belt, you know, you get into different things and you get hyper-focused on those. And I used to, you know, be one of those uh, jujitsu junkies where it's like you 
you, if anybody was taking a break or you know had some distractions from jujitsu, you thought that they were crazy. It's like, yeah. what are you doing? This is the most important thing you know ever. Uh, but then, kind of, you get a little older, you get a little bit more perspective, and uh, there are other things in life. But it is a fantastic, fantastic uh, activity in martial art that uh, just has so many benefits. But yeah, so and that's that's one of the benefits I thought would be interesting to talk with you um, because you have. <laughs> definitely gone down the rabbit hole with jujitsu and you now are definitely going down the rabbit hole with firearms and competitive shooting. Um, and I got to kind of watch you and, and it was interesting because when I first met you, I had no idea you had any interest in firearms. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. the only inclination I ever had was one day you were wearing a pew pew life Colleon Noir shirt to training. Yes. And I saw it and I was like, wow, like, because at that time in law school, I was very much into Colleon Noir and, was watching like yes. NRA TV stuff and, and his his uh, noir shooting stuff that he was doing on. Those were great shows. I'd love I loved those. I, those. I, yeah. I told him the other day, he's like, I you need to bring those back. Like, you gotta I know, back. I know. Like, he's um, still doing good work, but oh, uh, yeah, but man, but man, it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, and so it was interesting. Like, I saw you wearing that shirt and I never asked you about it because also it's firearms especially coming from California. It's one of those mm-hmm. things that you don't talk about it that much. <laughs> right. You don't, really, you don't really know how everybody uh, feels about it. So I was, and it was going to be awkward for me to be like, Hey, you like guns too? Like, talk <laughs> about guns. Uh, we were there to train. So, uh, but that was the only inclination I ever had. And then, you know, I left, I left law school, left Pennsylvania, moved back to California and then, you know, follow, continue to follow you on social media. And then I saw, you know, you moved to Texas with your family and you started doing a lot of competitive shooting. I saw, started to see you guys do, uh, or you do a lot of that shooting content um, on your personal pages. And I was like, wow, like he's, he's really into firearms. Uh, yeah. Probably at least on the competitive side, more than me. Like, you know, I'm much more of a casual, you know, go to the range, do mm-hmm. my training there, but definitely not any competitive shooting stuff, uh, yeah. which was really cool. Well, there's 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 space for for all of that for all the yeah. different types of enthusiasts in the in the gun world, and that's what I one of the things I love about it. So first, I will take this in sections. I'll we'll talk about the jujitsu side first, and then we'll move to firearms. Okay. So first and foremost, like how did you get into jujitsu? Man, um, well, I got into martial arts in general because you know as a uh, Ten or fourteen-year-old kid, uh, I wanted to be Bruce Lee. You know, I saw Enter the Dragon for the first time, and I was like, "Whoa, this is amazing! I want to be able to, uh, uh, you know, beat up twenty people, you know, with my bare hands." And uh, th- that was during the whole ninja craze back in the eighties. And uh, so I, I, I thought that martial arts were were amazing, and I wanted to get into them. Um, and Bruce Lee's martial art was was JKD, right? Mm-hmm. JKD concepts, which was his his way of, you know, kind of almost like a, a an early MMA yeah. um, blend of was was his idea, um, which at the time, you know, at least in the United States, was a big deal. So when I went to college, I there was a JKD concepts club that was meeting on campus. I was like, I'm in, right? So <laughs> I, I went and I started training with them on these little mats in a in a in a, a gym, and you know, we did a lot of striking, we did some knife stuff, but part of what they did, you know, the grappling side was uh, jujitsu. And the grappling stuff just seemed so amazing. And eventually you started to feel it's like you can actually make this stuff work. Like this is real. Like this isn't just this flowery thing. We're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, if the person isn't cooperating, um, it, you can't do the move. Um, jiu-jitsu, you can still do the move. <laughs> if you do it mm-hmm. right and you, you have all the awareness of body placement, man, this stuff is really effective. And 
so that kind of started the journey for me as to that, that attraction to what I could, I could feel was, was real and it would work against resisting opponents right away. Um, and I think my first, uh, jujitsu official, like under a Brazilian or a Brazilian jujitsu instructor was maybe in 1998, uh, Higgin Machado came Mm -hmm. to, uh, Pat Trey's Trident Academy in Woodbridge, Virginia, which was close to where I was going to school. And I was, again, just completely blown away. Like, we okay, we thought we were pretty good. We were doing a little bit of jiu-jitsu, a little bit of, like, shoot wrestling with leg locks. And we thought we were pretty hot stuff. And, man, Higgin, of course, just, just you know, he it was one of those times, like, there were no black belts anywhere. You know, there were a couple blue belts and a couple purple belts as far as the United States guys. But Higgin just rolled with the 50 people that were there at the seminar. And he just lined them up against the wall and he just rolled with all of us, destroyed everyone, tapped us all like nothing. And But even against like the blue belts, like the legit jujitsu blue belts, I could do nothing, right? All of the stuff that I had already been working on, you know, just with that club and these other things. I was powerless against their pins. I couldn't escape anything. I couldn't, my leg locks were useless. You know, and I, I was like, man, this is, this is something special. This is something different. I really need to, uh, to, to get dedicated to that. So I started training with, uh, at, at Pat Trey school down there under the, that Machado banner. And, uh, man took, took a break here and there, but otherwise I uh, didn't look back for probably 15 years. And, uh, it was a crazy journey, but amazing. Yeah, it's it's interesting to for people who are kind of you know you'd say 1998. You're you're talking early UFC. Um, yeah, it was a lot different. You're just hearing people nowadays, almost every town has probably maybe two gyms at least, even small towns, two gyms at least with yeah. black belt instructors, sometimes multiple. But I remember even when I first, because I think I first stepped into a jujitsu gym gym at like in 2009, mm-hmm, 2010 mm-hmm. maybe. And I remember my first instructor was also, he was a purple belt. There was, and once in a while, the black belt that he was under would travel. And we thought that was like, oh my gosh, a black belt, like, whoa. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as time progressed, then it started, the sport definitely now has grown and the the art has grown now to where you have multiple black belts. It's it's a thriving economy for a lot of jujitsu instructors and, and training. Uh, but it's funny to hear like you were even way before that when like even seeing a blue belt was probably rare. Oh yeah, no, it was it was extremely rare, and uh, yeah, like it was uh, a purple belt was a ninja that was on a complete mother level that you couldn't even think about. <clears throat> there were no <laughs> there were no brown belts, and <laughs> the, the only the only thing every now and then you'd get a black belt from Brazil, you know, that to come by from a seminar and. And, and that was it. But um, yeah, it's, it's amazing the way how things have changed. And as you say, you know, I, t- I taught in Austin for a number of years. Uh, and when I, when I started, there were maybe three or four legit black belts in town whenever I was there in like 2009. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I left, the first time in 2014 there were probably like 10 more and then when i came back yeah. 
in like 2018, like it's just flooded. Like it's the it's one of the meccas of jujitsu. Yeah, Austin now. is <laughs> the mecca. You, know, you got New Wave there with Gordon and Dan oh, yeah. and all them and the B team and just everybody else. You know, I think Tim Kennedy and his stuff is there. Oh yeah, uh, I, I came back in 2018. People are like, are you going to teach again? To teach jujitsu again? I'm like, what am I? Who am I going to teach again? <laughs> <laughs> I, it's 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 uh it's completely crazy, but uh, yeah. It, it's 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 a good thing. Yeah, it's crazy that it's it's grown to that phase, and a lot of that too was when Joe Rogan moved over there, and uh, mm-hmm. you saw a lot of people all of a sudden flood to Austin. It was big before that, but now everybody's there. Um, I, I had a que- I have a question for you. How long sure. did it take you? Like, how long did you train from um, white belt to black belt? How long was that process for you? How long were you doing that? Because I'm sure it was a lot longer also back then, because it's hard to get promoted when there's one black belt in the state. Yes, yes, yes. Um, man, I haven't, I haven't tracked out the exact timeline in a while. Um, but if I, if I started in like 98, I want to say it was, it was at least 10 years. It was, I think it was at least 10 years. Uh, I, you know, I, I had a little, I took about a year off at one point, um, maybe nine, nine months to a year off, uh, young man, personal life, uh, uh, drama type stuff. Uh, but, um, you know, my girl couldn't under, understand my fighter lifestyle, that kind of thing. Um, but jujitsu is life. Yeah, man, it, it is. It is. Um, but, uh, well, that's funny too, because I had taken some time off. Then I started dating who my, my, who's, currently my wife, Salima. Um, and she was the one that encouraged me to get back into jujitsu. She was like, Oh, you know, you really sound passionate when you talk about this thing, you should get back into it. I'm like, are you sure? Cause I get kind of crazy whenever I get in. She's like, yeah, yeah, you should do it. And then all of a sudden, a few years later, she's like, Oh, I never see you. All you do is train. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I was kind of on that, that normal stereotypical, you know, eight to 10 year path. Uh, I think you can do it much faster these days. Uh, if, if you're really dedicated, there, there's so much more information that's available. The instruction is so much better. Um, you know, the level of people is they're, they're getting really good, really fast whenever you have the time and the, and the focus for it. Yeah. Even just the resources on YouTube or instructionals now through like BJJ fanatics. Like, Oh yeah. I remember when I first started, there was, I think the first instructional I ever bought was yours, but it was through like, uh, artichoke media. I still watch it yes. once in a while. Um, go watch his instructional. I actually still use, I use his sit up escape stuff that uh, I stole from you and oh, you still yeah, to this day. Yeah. No, uh, man. So I'm, I'm so uh, happy that I, I stole most of it from Marcelo Garcia. <laughs> and then I, 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 you know, added a few other things for, for that worked for me, but, uh, it's, it's all about stealing it and then giving uh, attribution for it, uh, whether it's uh, jujitsu or guns or anything like that. Yeah. But the sit up escape stuff, man, that changed things for me in a big way. I wish I had gotten into that earlier. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Stuff. So I have a, a general question, like how has, jujitsu impacted your life and maybe your thought process of life and more specifically i guess self-defense because you know that touches a little bit more on generally what i talk about on this channel with your second amendment right or your you know fundamental human right or god-given right to self-defense like how has that kind of changed your your life or your thought process yeah 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 um again jujitsu 
is it's like magic in some ways, uh, but it's also very revealing of reality. Like when someone puts their hands on you and is holding you or pinning you or doing something against your will, uh, you you feel that to your core, and it's 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 very enlightening, and to slowly learn uh, to be a to become comfortable in that, mm-hmm. and how how to move your body, how to just naturally move your body to defeat that. Um, it's extremely empowering, and it starts to shape. I think for me, all the other things of of self defense. Um, you know, you need you need to feel that energy. You need to feel what it's like to get hit. You need to feel what it's like to get grabbed and held, to get pinned. Um, so you don't live with these fanciful notifications of you know, or, or, or fanciful ideas of what the t- television, the movies show you. It's like, oh, you know, uh, or these freaking con artists out there who are just like, oh, you know, the guy grabs you, just poke him behind the ear and he's going to let go. <laughs> or, you know, you're, you don't even have to touch him. You just, you know, use your chi to knock the person down. It's like you lose that illusion really quickly uh, on a jujitsu mat, even against somebody who's, who's being kind and gentle with you. Uh, they're they're going to be able to control you very, very easily. And so getting that dose of reality, um, is, is super important for framing your self-defense mindset as to how vulnerable we are against people who are bigger and stronger or, or maybe have some sort of uh, training against uh, uh, on their favor. Um, so you get that insight, but then you also get the confidence. We're like, okay, this if I just do this little detail, this little movement, shift my hips this way, change this little angle, now I'm in control. Now they can't hold me. Now I can... Uh, you know, maybe do do something offensive against them. And you start to learn how effective it is and that starts to build your confidence. So it's that it's both that reality check of how vulnerable we are, but also that confidence of how strong and powerful we can be um, if we we do this training and we put ourselves through this and we pay, we pay attention and um, then we can can walk around with the shoulders back and head high a lot more easily than, uh, you know, living in a, a sense of fear where we don't, we don't really know what we can do and we don't really know what anybody else can do. This, this kind of opens our eyes. Yeah. I could say from my experience, which means nothing compared to yours, but uh, oh, when, it means a lot. No. when I first started doing jujitsu and it really was just on a whim because my little brother didn't want to play football anymore. So my dad said, well, he's got to do something. So he was looking around town for a judo gym, um, but there was no judo gym. There was only a jujitsu gym run by a purple belt. And my little brother didn't want to go. So my dad was like, well, will you go with him? Like, make him, he'll do it if you go with him. So nice. I started doing it. And the second, like, and you know, that's a, a purple belt and purple belt still just absolutely wrecked me. And blue belt still absolutely wrecked me. Um, even some big, strong white belt wrestlers absolutely wreck me. Um, it is the most humbling and like terrifying thing to like face that reality of, yeah, you might be a bigger, stronger male, Mm -hmm. but it really does not matter. (laughs) Like there are, there are people who will absolutely smash you if they want. And it's also very humbling. Then when you jump to that next level and you start training with people like yourself and you just see how effortlessly 
they just kind of are flowing, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, giving mm-hmm. you an opportunity to move and, and do. And you were always very gracious, which I, I love, you know, training with you and at your gym because like the culture was always very welcoming. But also there were times when you would smash us to, so we could feel it. <laughs> um, but then you always also let us kind of work through positions and stuff that we were training. But it is a very humbling and ego check aspect of of life that i don't think a lot of people ever really face because especially now with uh social media i think a lot of people walk around with inflated ideas of who they are what Mm -hmm. they can do and also a lot of people you know are so used to engaging online and they forget Mm -hmm. in the real world and i know you said you you know it gives you an ability to walk around and kind of know your own capabilities i'm still in the phase of like i'm afraid of everybody because <laughs> like uh i still know that the weirdest looking nerd yeah. female or male could be an absolute just killer and yeah. just, just choke you out if they want oh yeah that's that's such a the funny you know stereotype but like these little little nerdy looking you know guys and gals uh but they've put the time in on the mats like the what the meow brothers you know yeah. whatever like that they'll just they'll just murder you yeah. um but it's funny you said that uh and that reminds me we talked about joe mentioned joe rogan uh briefly but he has a, a quote or a meme that's been up that i i always love but he's like uh He's like, I don't understand how people who don't know how to fight get into fights. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been training to fight my entire life, and I'm terrified to get into fights. <laughs> and but you know, and that's kind of uh, what I take from it. It's like, man, it, it reveals the reality of it to you. And you're like, even if I win, I'm still gonna break my hand, or you know, or still, you know, get into a situation, you know, legally that I don't want to get into. Um, and uh, yeah, but. There, there is something in our culture where there are a lot of people out there who just haven't haven't uh, had that experience, but they they think that they are really ready to fight, even though they've never really done it before. And uh, jujitsu is a great way to to knock that knock that uh, idea yeah. right out of your head. Yeah, and it's it's also one of those like how outside of doing other stuff or maybe doing like MMA matches or, or live sparring with boxing, you know, jujitsu, mm-hmm. when you go and train, you do most gyms, you'll do a live session, you know, live rolls at the end for, you know, 30 minutes or whatever, however long, how many rounds you do and how often do people really get to do that? Like all out technically kind of fight, uh, mm-hmm. crap mm-hmm. until someone quits or, and like, I know if I were getting to fight, I got like three, four solid minutes in me before right, I react right, right. uh, just because the reality of like, I've grappled live with real people who also train and know what they're doing. I know I got three or four like solid minutes in me and that's, mm-hmm. that's about mm-hmm. it. Like maybe I can survive, but you know, that's, that's it. Um, which I guess will segue interesting into a question I have for you. Do you okay. think more gun owners or people who carry concealed or just into firearms generally should consider doing jujitsu or at least doing some sort of, you know, martial arts self-defense to kind of also accompany them carrying a firearm. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Absolutely. I used to teach a bunch of the Texas LTC uh, classes down in Austin. um, And, you know, I would kind of 
ask a show of hands, you know, you'd have 20 people in the class and be like, okay, you know, who's been in a fist fight before? Who's ever trained a martial art? Who's had somebody grab them, you know, doing everything. And uh, most folks simply have not. And they are looking for the firearm to be some sort of magic talisman. You know, maybe they had some event in their life that scared them or somebody they knew did. And they're like, you know, things are getting a little crazy. I want to go out and buy a gun. Right. And while I applaud them taking their, uh, self-defense very seriously and taking the responsibility on themselves as opposed to, you know, waiting for the, the cavalry to come. Um, if you haven't ever experienced what uh, a fight is like, even in a controlled environment of a gym, uh, I think it'll be a rude awakening uh, if it happens to you, you know, in the middle of the night in your, in your bedroom or, or out on the street corner. Um, you know, and I've heard different instructors, you know, say that, you know, Every gunfight is a fight first and foremost. You know, you may it may not start perfectly with, mm -hmm. you know, the guy 10 yards away from you and he's reaching for a knife and I've got time to do my fast, you know, concealed carry sub-second yeah. draw. I might have to fight to get to my gun. Uh, I might have to fight to retain my gun. Um, that's that's a, a big reality that I think that, that a lot of people don't think about. Um, and, you know, martial arts... It, it's just another tool in your in your tool belt your in your your levels of escalation and you as a as a legal scholar you know that you know the lethal force there there are elements to get to that have to be uh, justified in order to do that and if you if the only tool that you have is is the gun well you know all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail yeah. you may be mentally just going to that tool too quickly where it's not you're not morally or legally in doing so. So um, whether it's jujitsu, whether it's boxing, whether it's Muay Thai, whether it's a combination of all of them, um, you know, having some sort of that realistic training and some other abilities other than just the shooting, I think is super important. Yeah. And I, I've always been of the same mindset as well. And it's with a lot of stuff, you know, the firearm, it is a great solution to some problems when it, you yes. know, there are, there are specific problems that can only be solved with a firearm. Um, and, and also like the firearm is the great equalizer for, for women, um, for yes. individuals. Like there are situations where a firearm is absolutely warranted. That's why we have a right to self-defense. We have a fundamental right to self-defense. It's protected in the legal system or you know, by the constitution. Um, but not all, like you said, if you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail and there are going to be, and we, I hear it all the time. There are incidences that come up and we see it all the, all the time. Also like on Instagram or Facebook where, a, you know, a situation pops up or a scenario pops up and you don't want to be that person that automatically just goes to the firearm because you're going to, you will get yourself into a legal problem because maybe that situation did not warrant you going directly to the firearm. Yeah. And, and also, uh, I think it's important when you were talking earlier about like how, jujitsu has kind of shaped your thought process. I, I find myself all the time too. I think it also gives you a little bit extra like situational awareness to where like now I will avoid certain situations, almost like that fear in the back of my mind of like, I don't really like this situation looks scary to me or this situation is probably not the best idea for me to, to go there. Or I don't like being yeah. in this environment right here because, um, maybe something would arise. I feel like jujitsu has kind of given me an additional little, like not spidey sense, but just a little extra situational awareness 
uh, because of like that reality of if I had to fight this individual or multiple individuals, because which maybe you can speak on, there is no, that's one of those, you know, where firearm may be an only, maybe only a solution just depending on your scenario, because no martial art is going to be perfect to take on multiple attackers. (laughs) I know a lot of people say, you know, X, Y, Z, boxing, Muay Thai, jujitsu, whatever is the end all be all. Um, Yeah. I don't Maybe you can speak on that. Do you think there is any martial art that you, you I'm sure you get asked it all the time. Is there any martial art that <clears throat> is t- perfect for multiple attackers? Yeah. Um, let me linger on that one thing you just said, as far as that awareness, and then we'll, we'll talk about the multiple attackers, but the, uh, what jujitsu does, but, but also other, you know, striking styles and martial arts do, um, that distance management, right? Distance management being um, one of the most vital aspects of a fight. You know, jujitsu, the philosophy is I either want to be really close or really mm-hmm. far away. That middle ground is where I want to uh, avoid damage. Uh, same thing for, for boxing and Muay Thai. And you start to get, like you say, a spidey sense. Like when you're sparring with someone, you're fighting with someone, you're like, mm, he's just a little too close. Mm-hmm. I'm going to move back a little bit or I'm going to circle here. You know, and I can I can control the grips here, but uh, he's winning this grip battle. Mm, I'm going to break distance. I'm going to break contact at distance management. Now, that's specific to those arts. But like you said, I think it starts to hone your spidey sense a little bit more. You're like, okay, what's that guy doing there? He's a little bit, you know, too close than it's normal. He's acting a little weird. Uh, I know that the main thing that is going to hurt me in any sort of fight are are the hands and the limbs and extremities. What's he doing with his hands? Why is he hiding them? I, I think it starts to get you into that kind of mindset or can help mm-hmm. facilitate that. So I think that's an important part. Um, like you say, listening to that intuition, developing that spidey stance, and then uh, distance management. Um, and uh, yeah, firearms are a tool where you can reach out and touch somebody, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's uh, a big advantage there. As far as any one style that can deal with multiple opponents, uh, I haven't really seen it, you know, consistently. Um, you know, as far as actual, you know, video footage that we've had, you know, there you, you'll see one guy, you know, a video of a guy just using boxing and like knocking one yeah. dude out, then going to the other dude, knocking him out. You know, I've also seen a video of a guy, you know, like double legging one guy, boom, <laughs> runs to the other guy, double legs, yeah. slams him, punches him once. Okay, maybe wrestling is it, you know. Um, I've heard, you know, many anecdotal, uh, anecdotal stories of like police officers that either I've trained with or that I know where jujitsu has saved their life. And they, mm-hmm. you know, held a guy in half guard and was able to defend against him until backup came or they were able to get up and escape or, or they were able to use a guillotine, uh, you know, choke to uh, uh, disable someone. Not that they're always allowed to do that these days, unfortunately, <laughs> but that's a whole other thing. Um, but um, yeah, I, uh, I think there are. I think there are legitimate strategies for trying to deal with multiple opponents tactically, as far as kind of how you're moving and things like that. But I think you're mostly screwed, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's there's there's no one thing you're going to train that's going to to do it all. But uh, a firearm is going to be uh, a big advantage in a situation like that. That's for sure. Yeah, in most situations, like you said, you're kind of screwed with multiple people. It's better to avoid that situation altogether. Yes. It's yes. nice to have 
again, just like the firearm, just because you know a martial art to whatever degree, it's not a fix all for every situation. It can help you in some situations. It can also be a detriment to you in some situation because, for example, with jujitsu, like if you're fighting five people, I don't want to necessarily double leg someone down to the ground and just think I can sit in half guard or no mount or no. someone's guard. You just sit there while the other four guys pelt me in the back of the head. Right, and and I would I would advocate that your jujitsu is incomplete if you don't know how to not go to the ground yeah. right so you know everybody's like oh jujitsu doesn't work in the street you're just what are you going to do pull guard no i'm not going to pull guard i know it's the last place i want to yeah. be but i've grappled so damn much that my stand-up grappling skills are fairly reasonable and i'm yeah. going to be as hard as i can be to, to, to not be taken down i'm going to utilize those skill sets uh and and i'm going to use it to survive and get away not to uh you know yeah, I'll send someone out from the mount with multiple opponents. Yeah, you see those memes all the time about like how different martial martial arts will fight, and you know the jiu-jitsu guy like sits sits butt and scoots. Um, right. Definitely, I mean, I think anybody who practices, like you said, has a healthy awareness. Like you probably in those situations do not want to go to the ground, um, and maybe jiu-jitsu will help you prevent that um, because you know you do a lot of stand up, stand to ground. You know, like you said, if you if your academy is not or your gym is not doing that, where you go live from feet to ground or also try to get up, uh, st- mm. wrestle back up or stand back up or sweep to back up something like that. Then you probably your jujitsu is incomplete, or at least if you don't have some techniques in your toolbox to, to help you in those situations. Yep. Yeah. We used to kind of the philosophy was like, Oh, you know, jujitsu, I'm on, I'm on the bottom. I'm either going to sweep them or submit them. It should be sweep, submit, stand up. Right. That's always should be something that your your opponent is being threatened by. And you should be working on to have the ability to to get up, disengage, whether that's to get up and and now attack or just get up and get out. Yeah. And I'm curious, uh, is have you ever done because we're talking I know a lot of my viewers are firearm specific people. Um, And I think your answer to this will be yes, but maybe I'm wrong. Do you think there is value in especially if you're doing jujitsu to do live sparring rounds with like a dummy gun in a concealed carry position. So the reality of if you get in a scenario where a lot of us potentially could be in where we're concealed carrying um, someone going for your gun, um, how to in awkward position, actually make sure you can draw your firearm if you need to. Uh, Do you see any value in that? And have you done any of that? I have, and I absolutely see a lot of value in it. Um, It, you know, some things are the same, but some things change. And uh, having the ability to uh, retain your your firearm and not have it used against you, to be able to get it out at the right time, uh, is super important. Um, and you'll you'll only really get the sense of that if you if you get down and, and road test it, just like we do with everything else in jujitsu. Uh, again, uh, certain instructors will say, you know, once once the gun is in the fight. You know, it's not necessarily just your gun. It's our gun now, mm-hmm. right? I, I can, if I get it away from you, you know, there's no rule that says, you know, that, that uh, hey, you can't use that against me. That's mine. No, it's yeah. ours, right? And, and, and what a terrible feeling that is. So whether it's just a blue dummy gun, whether you, you know, use airsoft, whether you go to a class and use simunition, um, I've done some of that. I want to do, continue to do more. Um I would say a few of the people that are out there doing classes really good. Uh, Craig Douglas, uh, Shivworks, you probably mm-hmm. know all these guys. Paul Sharp, um, 
out of Idaho now, the straight blast gym guy. He's really, really good with this. Um, there's, there's classes out there and, and I think, I don't know how much time one needs to, to, to dedicate to delegate, dedicate to it. But I think that it's important to start to be aware of that stuff. Uh, guns and knives, both of that stuff. Uh, knives are even scarier, I think on the yeah. ground, but having, having some of that experience and knowledge is like, Oh, I can't let go of his hands at all. It's really important for me to be monitoring uh, his hands just as, you know, I can't be going for collar and sleeve grips and, you know, doing all this, uh, you know, traditional jujitsu stuff when I, uh, there's ability of that weapon to come out. Burton Richardson is another one who's really, his uh, whole JKD for the street stuff, his BJJ for the street program is, is really good. And uh, I recommend checking out some of those guys. So I've done some of it, but there's out there, there's people out there doing it at a very high level. Yeah. I always thought it would be, it would be really cool because I know every state is different when it comes to concealed permitting. And, and I, I, my experience being in California, where I'm at in California, it is fairly easy to get your CCW. Um, you have to jump through definitely more hoops than other states, um, 90 day waiting periods and all that stuff and specific training requirements. I always thought it'd be interesting if someone even through like the CCW process, just offered some sort of grappling with the dummy gun or simunition just because I think a lot of people get, I, I mean, I've seen it. A lot of people get false confidence when they go to get their CCW. You know, they'll shoot their qualifying rounds, you know, whatever, five rounds with five, seven, and 10 yards. And then they won't ever train, even with their firearm, but they won't shoot anymore. They won't learn how to actually draw from concealed, um, deal with malfunctions, reloads, anything like that. And they just think because, oh, I took this state required hours of training course i'm good to go um and there is just such a deep hole even when it comes to just the firearms training aspect of it and then you add in like okay what about the fighting aspect if you are carrying a concealed weapon which sometimes like will haunt my dreams like i'll have dreams now of like training like kind of training jujitsu or in a fight and then i have my concealed carry and then like i'm fighting for it i'll have these nightmares of like the holster I picked was not good. The retention wasn't good. So like the gun like flops out and right. scrambling for it. Yeah. So I think yeah. there are like real world considerations that people need to think about. Well, it's interesting you say that because that's uh, another reason why that kind of training is important. And the reality of training some sort of martial art, I think it can be really helpful is like, you know, when I'm concealed carrying, like I'm not, uh, I mean, I'm older now anyway, so I'm not a hothead like I, I may or may not have been when I was younger. But, like, I'm not getting into a bar fight. I'm not getting into, you know, some sort of random, you know, conflict where I'm like, oh, well, this guy's talking smack, you know, about, you know, some issue. And I'm, I'm going to fight him about it. And I'm going to tackle him and take him down with a gun on me. I'm not going to do that. Right. I'm I'm backing off. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm accepting, you know, whatever, man, de-escalating, walking away. Um but if you haven't been in those scenarios and you haven't really you know, either trained them or really thought about them, um, having the firearm and having that knowledge of what a real grappling or really uh, a fist fight is going to be like out on the street, it makes you much less likely to get involved in that if you're, if you're thinking about it seriously. Yeah, I, I have a question because I didn't know that you did a lot of like the Texas LTC stuff. Mm. What was your kind of experience when you run people through that? Did you see a lot of that where people just think, you know, oh, I've been shooting guns since I was 12, you know, you know, Papa's shotgun or whatever, or rifle or 22. And 
now I'm going to get my concealed license and I'm just going to do what I need to do to qualify and, and not really go beyond that. Do you see a lot of that? Yes, you, you, you do. Unfortunately, um, that said there, there's, there was a, an interesting spectrum. You would see people who took it very seriously. Mm-hmm. You taught you, you would get people who wouldn't even really understand what they were there for. They thought that they needed this to own a gun at all. So mm-hmm. they just went and bought a gun. They had never shot it before in their life. They got it here and they're okay. I'm ready to, I'm ready to take my test. And they kind of thought that it was instruction you know, that they were going to get a lesson and then a test. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this is, this is a test run by the state. So you're demonstrating what you already know, right? I'll, I'll help you a little bit, but I can't load your mags for you. I can't, you know, do this. Like, once the beeper goes off, yeah. uh, I am just a, a, uh, agent of the state, uh, who's, who's evaluating your performance. Um, but yes, you would get people, who, yeah, I shot all my life, man. but then they get up there to the line and, you know, their bullets are either loaded backwards or they're, I can't understand. I've never had a malfunction before. When was the last time, you know, you, you lubricated your gun or well, <laughs> yeah. probably, took it out of the safe, I took it out of the safe, you know, uh, here after 10 years. Um, so, and, and these state run tests, as you know, are not difficult. Like you can literally shoot the Texas LTC one, you know, with your eyes closed. <laughs> if you've, if you've shot, if you shot for a while and you kind of hold it out there, it's a three, seven and 15 test. Um, and so you would get people who would get perfect scores. You would get people who were barely passing. And if you are barely passing that test, I'm only, I'm not super confident about how your ability to defend yourself without hurting innocent people out in public. And I think that's where a lot of this really becomes very serious because you're not, you're defending your life. You're defending the lives of your family or uh, your loved ones, but are you a liability or are you an asset when Mm. you're out out in public and defending your home is one thing uh, when you're carrying a gun out in public and with the, intent or, or capacity to, you know, stop an attack in wide open spaces, you know, you're accountable for where every round ends up. Mm-hmm. And some of those people are not able at all to be accountable for those rounds. So I think that that is something people need to be very aware of and take take very seriously and, and get the, the appropriate training and, and put in the work because you can go to lots of classes and do all these things. But if you don't put in the work on your own, you know, it's, it's, it's not gonna, yeah, not gonna make dif- a difference. Yeah. And it's not us saying that, you know, everybody starts somewhere. Like, I'm not going to say just because someone, you know, isn't, you know, Xing every single round, putting it dead center that they shouldn't carry. Absolutely not. Everybody starts somewhere, but I think it's just being a little bit, as you're in the firearms community, I think there are a lot of people who have inflated expectations about what their abilities really are. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's just being realistic with yourself, understanding that this state mandated test is not the end all be all, um, especially if, you know, you're barely squeaking by with your qualification. You know, you understand like, hey, I, you know, I can legally, you know, constitutionally carry, but maybe I should actually take this a little bit more serious, understand that my abilities are not where they need to be. Um, not saying that you shouldn't carry because, you know, first and foremost, like you, you know, it, that's your decision to make. Um, everybody has a right to defend their own life and their family's lives and and others. Um, but just being realistic, the same thing with jujitsu about what your capabilities really are. Like I, I understand what my capabilities are. Like if I have a smaller 
person who doesn't know jujitsu, I might be okay. <laughs> but You're anybody else, anybody else who's bigger than me, probably has some decent training or is a wrestler. Like I'm gonna have some trouble. <laughs> like, yeah. and the same thing with firearms. Like I, I know what my capabilities are. Um, I know that I practice, you know, drawing from concealed and doing a lot of other stuff, clearing malfunctions. But I'm definitely not a high level shooter. Like I, even I have my capabilities. Yeah. Well, what was what was really heartening to me uh, through that experience is that I would have students who would come through the Texas LTC program. They would shoot, they would pass, but they would be like, oh, I, I'm, I, I need to do some work. And then they would sign up for private lessons or they mm -hmm. would take small group classes and I would see them again and again uh, at my range. Or I would always tell people, I was like, I don't care. Train with me, train with somebody else, train somebody. But get the training, take it seriously and go. And you could see that this was a new thing for them and it was going to be a start of a journey for them that they were going to keep going on. And that was, that was really uh, exciting to see. Yeah. I think this is a good segue to just ask you because when I had originally interacted with you, it was very jujitsu heavy. Like I said, I didn't know yeah. you were heavily into firearms. How did you get into firearms and kind of end up where you are, what you're doing now, just so hyper-focused on like competition shooting and all that, so, which I always, I love seeing. It's just so yeah. interesting seeing people around you be like, oh, they are, they are fanatics like me. <laughs> like I'm not a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Um, man, I, I like, like so many Americans, uh, young American males, American boys. I was fascinated with guns from a very young age, uh, watching cowboy shows, you know, with my dad growing up, um, Lone Ranger, gun smoke and stuff. Uh, but early on, my parents, they were like, eh, we don't think guns are a great idea. You know, we weren't really a hunting family, even though my dad did some of that growing up. But uh, I remember I would, uh, I would have peanut butter sandwiches and I would chew them into shapes of guns. And then I would play with my peanut butter sandwich guns at the table. And so eventually my mom was like, all right, let's get him a toy plastic gun so he doesn't do this anymore. Um, but I, you know, I shot a little bit with my, my dad and my grandfather back down by the railroad tracks uh, growing up. Um, but it wasn't really until I got a little bit older and, and actually trained a bunch of martial arts. So I was probably in my mid-20s when I got my first pistol and I started to take shooting more seriously. Um, and it to me, it became an extension of self-defense. I think I was probably a purple belt at the time in jiu-jitsu, and I'd already trained, you know, some MMA and kickboxing and stuff. And but all of a sudden, I was like, "Huh, uh, I'm pretty good at this stuff." But if the guy's like, "I can't touch him," and he's yeah. got a gun or he's got something over here, it doesn't matter what belt I'm wearing or you know all this different stuff. Uh, I, I need to be able to defend myself and my family in a, in a, in a more dynamic way. And firearms for me were, were the answer there. That, that's, a, that's a natural way of saying, okay, we won. But I, it wasn't just something for fun now. It's like I wanted to do it, you know, with a, a defensive mindset. Um, so that's kind of how I, how I got into it. And I would say the, the way that I thought was the healthiest way to train that. And because I wanted, I wanted to be good at it. I didn't just want to like, oh, okay, you know, like kind of, I have this thing. I want to be good at this thing. And like the, the way I got into focused more on jujitsu and like tie boxing and, you know, things like that was you could compete in them. You could actually go and you could test yourself and, you know, whether you win, you, you lose, whatever you learn, but you're going to actually test yourself against resisting opponents. 
or at least in an environment that is providing you, you know, real feedback. And that's, I felt that's a much healthier way to get that reality check than like going down to the bar at night and getting in a bar fight, you know, that, uh, as, as far as to test your martial arts ability, so, you know, do these competitions. So as soon as I got into shooting, I'm like, yep, I want to do that. I want to get into some sort of competition. And I found these videos online of these guys shooting IDPA, which is a defensive style, uh, competitive shooting. And that was all I knew existed, but I was like, yep, I'm going to do that. And so that was kind of, uh, I started searching for, for local matches and competitions and figuring out what the rules were and what gear I needed and uh, just dove right in. Yeah, which is, it's interesting because I kind of saw like that transition <laughs> like mm. through social media. Social media is an interesting <laughs> thing. Like I got to, yeah. you know, just following you casually because of how I knew you before. And then all of a sudden I start seeing you putting up videos of you going to competitions and, you know, the rankings and how you, how you shot or like, you know, videos of you doing it live or, um, you know, prep, dry firing, things like that. And we can get into the whole dry fire. I think that's an interesting conversation in itself because sure. people are very polarized about dry firing for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, but it was, it's interesting to see like how, and that's why I think you're an interesting individual is because how hyper-focused you really get on, on things. And like you said, you wanted to not just do it to do it. You know, you're almost seeking your black belt, whatever equivalence that is in competition shooting. Absolutely, um, yeah. So I, I think that's, that's interesting. Um, what have you done any, um, I guess actually I have a better question. If someone wanted to get involved into like IDPA or USBCA, um, yeah. what recommendations would you really have for them? Like, as I, I personally don't know a whole lot about competition shooting, just, you know, what I kind of see in the community, but I've never done it myself. Never, um, you know, I thought about doing it just with a lot of other things going on in life just isn't, hasn't been a high priority. I've done other training things, you know, going to courses, but never actually done the competition. Yeah. Um, any tips or tricks or any, anything you would recommend for people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as soon as your gun safety is in place and, you know, so of course we've got, you know, our, our major rules of gun safety and you kind of have those dialed in and, and burned into your brain. Um, but to, be aware of kind of the safety protocols they have at these matches because the they th the the great thing is you know some of the safest shooters out there are going to be competition shooters because the the safety rules are um, really dialed in and if you break any of them you're getting disqualified for the day and you're going home and so um, you know at the least so. <laughs> having having the the safety stuff dotted uh, basically i need to be able to be aware of my muzzle at all times i be i need to be able to move with my gun while keeping my finger off the trigger until i'm ready to shoot i need to be able to draw safely reload safely uh and and, and move around in an environment um while, while not breaking the 180 that's a big one where mm -hmm. you kind of because uh, there's always going to be people standing behind you you know participating mm -hmm. in the match and if you turn around and point your gun at them uh, flagging is, everybody watching <laughs> yes that's that's frowned upon severely you will get disqualified and uh and sent home um so having just an idea of what those safety rules are maybe practicing some of them at home um that's really all you need uh you don't need to be the fastest shooter you don't need to be the most accurate shooter all of those things are going to come with time um uh, but the first thing is get out there and do it get the experience get that adrenaline rush where the, the beep goes off behind you and you're like 
holy shit, I thought I knew what I was going to do, but now I completely forget where I was supposed to go, I was supposed to shoot, you know, that's the kind of, of pressure that you put on yourself. And uh, it really uh, makes it just, it just starts to get you to a higher and higher level. You have a lot of fun, you're going to make fantastic friends. Um, and it's, it's a really supportive uh, community, for sure. But learn, learn the safety stuff, and then get out there and do it. You know, don't think, oh, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. As long as you're safe and you can move in a controlled way, uh, you're going to have a blast and you're going to you're going to learn a lot. Uh, what is what's your strategy for like training yourself up? Because I know I, this is a debate kind of just within the community in general. Like we can talk about dry firing and all that stuff, but even just a lot of people when they think about training with your firearm, they think about going to the indoor range, standing in a lane, mm-hmm. you know, shooting fifty rounds at a static target. Um, and with competitions like you do, there is a lot of movement. A lot of people don't necessarily think about like even just the real world implication of, you know, you're not going to be standing still <laughs> you're shooting yeah. the target at five, 10, 17, whatever yards. Um, what, I guess what, how do you approach that? How do you approach your training with, you know, making sure you implement your movement and all that stuff? What is, what is your thought process with that? Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, once once you get the feeling of running around, uh, you know, safely, but running around and shooting with a gun uh, and not in a, you know, static sitting in a, a, a you know, an indoor uh, line in a range, you, you'll, you'll never go back. It'll it'll never be uh, it'll never be enough um, to, to just do that. So that is a big part of it. And I think that it adds such a, a big element of realism. Um but also, and just makes it a lot more fun. How do you train that? Um, if you have access to an outdoor range and that lets you set up courses of fire where you can move around, that's fantastic. That's perfect. And to, to be at a, a really high level, I think, I think you need that to, to search that out. Um, can you do a lot of that in dry fire? Absolutely. Uh, you can set up lots of targets in your basement, in your garage, in your living room, whenever the kids and wife aren't in there and, uh, uh, and do a lot of that movement and get really creative with it. Um, because in the, the highest level guys, they are very specific in their movement as entering positions, exiting positions, uh, shooting on the move, you know, transitions, all these different things that, make you a much much more efficient shooter and you know a defensive shooter might think well i don't need to worry about all that stuff because i'm you know i don't care about a competition i care about the real world all right but you you should care about being efficient you should care about being fast and accurate as quickly as possible because you know uh what's that one saying is uh every Basically, every gunfight is a competition, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, <laughs> not, um, so I, I, I need to be putting accurate hits on target as rapidly as possible before the other guy puts uh, hits on me. Um, you know, in these competitions, obviously, no one's shooting back, but you're taking the manipulation, the speed, the accuracy, the movement, and thinking with a gun in your hand, uh, you're taking that to the, the extremes of human performance as high as you possibly can. Yeah, which I, I think there's a huge way of why I've always been interested in one day doing competitions because it's just that extra layer of I'm gonna get you hooked, man. Watch out. I'm gonna get you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we can do it. Uh, <clears throat> like I said, it's just been one of those things that's been in the back of my mind because I know that there is a lot of value in that. Um, it's just that extra layer of 
bringing in there's i mean there's a lot of value to a lot of stuff but it just brings in that extra layer of like real world implications um i'm sure there's not every you know not everything competition shooting will translate into the real world but the ability sure. to you know do it yeah. under time under pressure movement you know having certain requirements um no hit stuff yeah, <laughs> you're right, not supposed yeah. to hit this you're supposed to hit this this many times you know throttle control trigger control um even just safety in general um i think there's a ton of value in that um i guess maybe a, a follow-up question what in your mind do you think doesn't translate well from competition to like self-defense real world implications of, of defensive use yeah um the first one that, you know, people talk about is that uh, you're not shooting back or there's nothing shooting back at you. So it could maybe give you some sort of, uh, you know, overconfident mindset. And uh, in for USPSA and three gun uh, types of competitions, you're not required to use cover. Right. You're not necessarily you're not required to stand behind a wall and peek out and shoot or something like that. Um, I think there's some validity to that. But mostly, you know, and this is I've had an opportunity to work with some very high level shooters who uh, are both excellent competitors, but they're also guys with, you know, special forces and military background. And they are a big believer in, in training everything, but they think that competition is fantastic. And they're like, trust me, whenever somebody shooting's back, is shooting back at you, you're going to get behind cover. Like, you don't have to worry about that. Like, that's not something that you're going to be <laughs> like, oh, well, I'll just stand out here and, you know, take all these out in the open because that's what I did uh, at this particular match. It's like, eh, your, your, your survival instincts are going to kick in and you're going to do those things. I think it's important to practice those things uh, from time to time for sure. Um but I, I don't know. I, I don't have any any mental blocks switching from one to the other. Whenever we do, you know, your IDPA where you can, you know, have to shoot from behind cover, fine. I can shoot from behind cover. USPSA, I'm running and out in the open and just blazing away. I can do that. Uh, force on force stuff when, you know, people are shooting simulations back at me, I get behind cover. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I don't have a problem doing that. So, um I, th I think it's a it's a it's a valid concern, but I think that the positives uh, very much outweigh the negatives. Yeah. Do you do you think there's any? I've I've heard this a little bit with competition shooting. A lot of people say, "Oh, at competitions, you're trying to shoot as fast as possible, you know, as many targets as possible," and it's maybe not translates well to the real world because you don't want to maybe dump an entire mag in someone. Um, do you oh, see right. there's any validity to that or? Um, again, I think it kind of, I think that kind of comes down to the individual yeah. and just how much attention and self-control you have, you know, because there's, you know, uh, the different competitions in course of fire, you may be like, all right, there's 10 targets. Each of them have to get three for this one. Normally it's only two. That's normally for most, that's the average. You put two in every one and you've, you've neutralized it. But for these ones, they have to get three or this one has to get six or this one, you get two to the body, one to the head, you know, uh, in, in certain ones. And for some people early on, that's really hard to keep track of. Uh, but once you've been doing this long enough, it's, you really, I don't know. It's not a big deal. I, I don't know. Like, yeah. uh, I, I see, like, 
I, I see a lot of cops who just mag dump, uh, you know, when they're in a defensive situation. And I know that that level of adrenaline and that level of, uh, that, that, that's a possibility to, to not keep yourself in control and you can, you know, overkill kind of things. Um, but I think for a, for a civilian self defender, you need to think about those things, right? I need to yeah. think about, okay, I'm going to stop to shoot the threat. I'm not shooting to kill. I'm not going after this person to execute them, you know, after they've, they've you know, no longer become a threat. I saw a video recently that was, uh, I think that was out of Texas, where there was, uh, it was legally iffy as far as how the guy the finished them. Taqueria one? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was problematic. But um I don't think that competition is going to, is going to hurt you or help you uh, as far as that type of self-control or awareness. I think that's something that has to be cultivated within yourself. Yeah. My, my thought, like I said, I don't have any competition experience, but my thought is you probably would have more throttle control or more awareness of uh, because you've, you've been there, you've, and you've been under the stressor of Mm -hmm. shooting under time and as fast as possible and being as fast and accurate as you need to be. Um, which I think would translate a, a well. I don't. I've never really understood the arguments about people say, saying, you know, you're just learning to shoot, shoot fast and you know. Fast yeah, fast. the people that uh, say that it will you just shoot fast and you're not worried about accuracy, um, they haven't done it at a high level uh, mm-hmm. because at the highest level, these guys are extremely fast and extremely accurate, and and that's that's the only way to win They're They're chasing after the, again, the, the edge of human performance and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's speed, but it's not just speed. It's the accuracy as well. Um, which is amazing to watch and an amazing thing to try to try, try to achieve. Yeah. You're, uh, we're going to talk. I'm sure you're going to get me addicted to, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess the, how I want to wrap this up is, uh, kind of on both planes. Um, I know you, you have children and, you know, when I was training with you at the Academy, every once in a while, your children would come in and and train with us. Uh, How important do you think it is for children to learn both jujitsu and then also learn firearms? Like how have you approached that as a father um, kind of ushering them both into both worlds? And I understand like, you know, not every kid wants to do jujitsu, but kind of what has been your approach? Yeah. um, I know, some jujitsu parents or jujitsu dads like just your kids are training jujitsu no matter what they don't have a choice now. i gave them a little bit more of a choice and so they both have trained some uh over the years and enough to give them a good understanding and a little bit of a little bit of confidence i would like them to uh, to go a little bit deeper my younger one who's 13 is actually gonna he's about to get back into it up here so i'm excited about that um but in general, I think it's fantastic for kids, both for boys and for girls, uh, just learning how, how, how your body moves, uh, self-confidence, you know, that bully-proofing aspect, uh, being able to walk away from situations, but also give yourself the confidence to, to handle a lot of situations that can arise. Uh, I, it's something that I did not have growing up uh, was was... I, I messed around with a couple kids uh, who did Taekwondo, but I didn't, uh, I didn't have any realistic martial, martial arts training when I was young. So there was a lot of situations where I was uncertain in that if I'd have had some real self-defense or fighting ability would have, would have made my life easier. Um, as far as the firearm training goes, uh, my kids can recite the, the firearm safety rules, you know, in their sleep and they 
will come shoot with me from time to time. Neither one of them got the bug uh, to really do it competitively or anything yet, um, which I have mixed feelings about because I kind of really want them to, but I also <laughs> know that my ammo budget would uh, be completely <laughs> impossible if they get into it. Um, but yeah, they, I, I think, again, it's, it's not bullyproofing, but it's like, firearm safety proofing your kids not whether you have guns in your house whether they go over to a friend's house you know where their parents have guns they give them the proper respect they know that if somebody's you know pointing the gun you know flagging people or something like that that is not acceptable at all they need to leave that situation um you know what to do if you find a gun all these different things just to to de to demystify it so they're not so uh you know, curious about, Oh, my dad's got guns, you know, and a friend comes over, you want to go see him, you know, it's nothing like that. I always told them, if you ever want to see my guns, if you want to handle it, you know, just ask me, I'll come and, and show you, I'll show your friends as long as it's okay with their parents. Um, but literally my kids are so bored with guns. It's like, they just seem, cause I'm just, I'm constantly walking. You talk, if you want to talk about dry fire, like it's, it's a pretty much a daily ritual with me. Um, and they're constantly seeing me walking around, you know, uh, with, with a gun on my hip and, and going through the motions, whether it's in, you know, the garage or the basement or somewhere. And, uh, they, 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 they're, they're not curious at all. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're well-versed. Which is, I mean, that's kind of where I think you want to get kids at a certain point where it's not that mythical, cool thing. Like that's been sitting in the closet that we want to go look at and mess with. And it's the secretive thing that we'll do it when the parents aren't there. I think that's exactly. awesome that your kids are eventually at that point where it's almost like, eh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stop talking uh, to me about guns, I don't even care, Dad. Yeah, that's what I always said. I was like, my if my kid goes over to you know somebody else's house and they're like, my dad's got an AR-15. You want to see? My kids will be like, no, no, it's boring. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess my wrap-up question is kind of. What are your goals? You know, where where are you headed? Because, you know, I see you on Facebook and, you know, you're doing your competition thing. You know, where kind of where are your goals? Where are you? What are you trying to achieve at this point? Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I, I, I try to always have goals, write them down and then, you know, have have specific ways that I'm, I'm going to continue to attack them. And uh, the like you, you said kind of achieving your your black belt in jiu-jitsu uh you know i'm trying to get to the the grandmaster ranking in uh, uspsa in a couple different divisions right now i'm mostly focusing on the carry optics division um so that's a goal uh i'd like to uh win a regional match for for uspsa which will take a lot of work and maybe certain top level guys might not have to show up on that day, but, but I'd like to, uh, I'd like to, to have that as a goal. I'd like to, you know, pay, place in the top in, in a national competition. Um, and then just, you know, be, become the best instructor that I can be. I, I, I love teaching. I love sharing all the things that I've learned, you know, just like with jujitsu, the tiniest details, the tiniest little, little changes uh, make a big difference and being able to pass that on, uh, to other people not only helps me be more focused on those details, but it, it, it just seeing their eyes light up and having that, that, you know, joy and passion for them is, is uh, such a great thing. So, uh, I, I want to take my, my teaching side into this, uh, as far as I can, just like I did with jujitsu. 
It's awesome. Yeah, I'll uh, if it's okay with you, I'm gonna leave links to your Instagram down below if anybody wants to watch. Oh, sure. Watch you, you know, your because I, I know you put up <laughs> stuff of you shooting and some little instructional stuff. I would love it if you did more of that for my own like selfish because you know if I know someone and I trust you know for information. Um, yeah. And like I said, the reason why I brought you on is because there are people out there in the world who are very interesting, but they maybe don't do content creation stuff. And sometimes I'm like. I am not, I don't know why I have an audience because I don't feel like I'm any very unique when I look at people like you with a lot of in-depth in experience um, in multiple different things that's very valuable to community. So I would love to push you to do more content, um, but I would right, lo- gladly right, yeah. you know, link to your stuff so people can find you and watch the stuff that you're doing and, and also get instruction from you because I think you're a valuable um, asset to the community for sure. Well, thank you so much, man. I'm 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 trying my best, and uh, man, you you're doing amazing work, and uh, it's it's really cool to see you putting your strengths to support the shooting community and uh, and our country in general. You know, yeah, and, it's uh, it's interesting. I love, I guess uh, inside baseball, you know, me and Jeff. I think the last time I actually like talked to you in person was the day right before I flew back to California. I just grad, you know, I got married Friday, graduated from law school Saturday. I think I went to the gym real quick, dropped some stuff off. I think some magazines, some mags for like a Glock and some ammo and stuff. Yeah. Um, and flew out the next morning. Uh, it was like, hey, I got to go. Bye. Uh, so, you know, yeah. it's, it's been awesome to talk with you and kind of catch up and talk about I know. Cool stuff I've just we seen you know on your. I know. I've just seen your face on the YouTube, uh, you know, your YouTube Dark Scholar channel. I'm just like, I know that guy. That guy's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's happened a lot. A lot of people will be like, hey, even to my wife, I'm like, hey, your husband does YouTube. Like, I had no idea because uh, I don't like to tell a lot of people. I, I like, which is hard now at this point, but um, yeah. I always try to keep it close knit. So, yeah, no, I'll definitely link to your stuff. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and my audience. And like I said, I think you have a lot of unique insight that is very valuable to the community. So, however I can support you, I would love to do it. But, you know, thank you again for coming on. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, if you want to, uh, you know, explore the competition shooting scene or anything like that, just let me know, and you can come out, come out here to Indiana in the middle of uh, when when it warms up a little bit. Don't come right now, <laughs> but come out to Indiana. We'll we'll do some shooting, and uh, we'll we'll get you rocking and rolling. Awesome. Well, thanks again, guys. Thank you to everybody who's listening. Uh, next week's podcast, not really sure what we're going to be talking about, but I'll update you guys. So thank you again to Jeff for coming on. And as always, never forget, this nation was built by arm scholars, and this nation will be maintained by arm scholars. <laughs>